Hello and welcome to another edition of Turn Out a Punk. I'm your host, Damien Abraham. Once again, I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved with punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, huge guest from the legends Echo and the Bunnymen, and also the author of the brand new book, Bunnyman, Will Sargent is here on the show. And Get ready. This one is a doozy. It's a real fun conversation. More on that in one second, though. But first, if you want to get in touch with me, head over to the email address, turnedoutapunkpodcast at gmail.com. That is run by my brother and show producer and guest booker extraordinaire. But this one's got an interesting story. I'll get to that in a second. And he will get the message to me. I love you, Tristan. Thank you for all the hard work you do. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at left for damien If you want to support the show, the best way to support the show is just by telling all your friends about it. You can also subscribe to it and, and rate it on iTunes. And thank you to everyone that does do that. And you can also... Um, uh, Head over to patreon.com slash turn it a punk and check out some of the fun stuff we do over there. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you to all the people that do that, because it really does help keep this show going. Like when stuff breaks down, you, you know, and uh, you got to repair it, which has happened really recently. Um, th- that really helps. So thank you to everyone on Patreon for helping me do that. And speaking of help, this thing would not be possible without the help of the fine folks at Vans who came aboard a few years ago and said, Damien, do what you do, just just don't do it out of your own pocket. And they helped me cover the costs of doing the show each and every week, which there are costs. Who, who, you know, it's free, but there are costs to make it. It's one of those great ironies in life. But anyway, thank you to them for doing that. And check out Channel 66, uh, the, the uh, Vans uh, channel, YouTube channel right now, video channel. It's got a lot of uh, former guests of the show, friends of the show, future guests of the show, hint, hint, uh, DJing, uh, interviewing people, hanging out. It's it's really fun, some of the stuff you're doing. If you like this show, you'll like the stuff that's going on over there. And speaking of liking stuff, you might like the new Fucked Up song. It's 90 minutes, so bear that in mind. It's called Year of the Horse, and now it is available for all your streaming pleasure on all those streaming services and uh, it'll be coming out in a physical form on tank crimes records later on this year. And, and there's going to be a lot of other fucked up stuff coming up soon too. I'll be talking about that probably. Yeah, probably we'll be talking about it. Why not? Why not? All right. Why not get on with the show on the show today? Will Sargent is here. And if you are not familiar with Will Sargent, he is a, uh, a music legend, uh, a guitar player in Echo and the Bunnymen, done some solo work, done a lot of other different projects over the years as well. And this thing came about because friend of the show, Toronto guitar legend in in her own right, Allison Baker, now does not live in Toronto, but Allison Baker hit me up and was like, would you want Will Sargent from Echo and the Bunnymen to come on the show? And I said, yes, that would be amazing. And so... You know, lo and behold, here we are, and Will is on the show, and Will has got a brand new book, which is uh, just available for pre-order right now, called Bunny Man, and this thing, uh, I have not read it yet, because I haven't had a chance to read this thing, this interview came together before, I think the book even was, oh, the book was announced, but it just it hadn't come out yet, so Will will be back, spoiler, for a part two, after I have a chance to read this book. And we can dive into more stuff. But, oh, man, this is a fun conversation. I'm excited for you to hear this. I'm not going to ramble on anymore. I don't think I have any notes this week or anything. But, um, yeah, I don't think there's any notes. So sit back, relax, and enjoy Will Sargent on Turned Out a Punk. <laughs> 
Will, thank you so much for coming on the show. No problem. Well, I spared you Good. from I, I spared you from this off air, but uh, I am very excited to talk to you. Not only because I'm a, am I a huge fan of your band, but I am fascinated by this early Liverpool punk scene, which I think is greatly underappreciated uh, outside of the people that experienced it. Well, yeah, it is. You know, it's. Uh, I, I had you talking to um, Steve Diggle. And he was mentioning about, you know, the free trade all pistol show and everything. Well, the pistols played in Liverpool before that. Really? I don't know that was before. What what was when when did they play Liverpool the first time? They played at the um I d I wasn't there, gotta say I wasn't there, but Mac was there. And um it was before it was even before Eric's, which was like the punk club in Liverpool, was called Eric's. It was called the Revolution Club. Oh wow. Yeah. And um then they changed its name to Eric's and it it sort of you know, as all them punk bands started appearing, you know, I only started going in sort of May, April 77, something like that. So I was a little bit late onto it, but it's, it started in 76 in, um, as the Revolution Club. I think the first band on was uh, the Runaways, I think, and uh, the Stranglers and Pistols. Um I didn't start going until a bit later on, but it wasn't open every week at that time. You know, it was only open now and then, you know, it wasn't every week. Well, I cannot wait to get to this stuff because you're schooling me already, but I got to start this off the way they all start off, which is, well, how did you get into punk? Do you remember the first time you ever came across the genre? Yeah, it was at a Dr. Feelgood gig and they played Anarchy in the UK over the PA. <laughs> That's awesome. And I remember thinking, wow, this is great. What is it? You know, and they played it twice. They played it before the band, uh, you know, during the sort of bit between the support band. I can't remember who was supporting. And then after, you know, when everyone's going on, I was thinking, that's amazing. And I didn't, I didn't really know until a lot later on when I heard it again, you know, once like all the Bill Grundy stuff was going on and all that, you know, mm -hmm. and it was Hilt and the Fury on the newspaper and, you know, all that sort of malarkey. So it was kind of, um, and then I recognised it. Oh, that's that that's track that I heard. It was just so different to anything else that was around at the time, you know. Even like the likes of the Stooges weren't, you know, weren't up to that sort of the impact of that, that sort of forced on you, you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But like even being at a Dr. Feelgood show, you're kind of at the stuff that that is, you know, at least from my mind, looking from a historical distance, is the precursor to yeah. the Sex Pistols in a very direct way. Yeah, totally. Like, you know, there's a there's a lot of bands. There's like, you know, the, there was like a, a bridge between sort of the old school 70s prog rocky stuff and then going into like this whole new thing. And there was like a lot of bands that sort of got left on the wayside, really. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, so I suppose it started with like the likes of um, I don't know Roxy Music, uh, Bebop Deluxe. They were kind of like a a bridging band almost. They weren't punky, but they were kind of like taking it somewhere else, and they were like sort of uh, short hair and all that sort of stuff. And the, somebody around uh, that I know said that the the beginning of punk punk was when uh, they first saw Doctor Feelgood. And Wilco Johnson had his top button fastened. Wilco <laughs> yeah. uh, Pete Bent, Bentham, somebody, somebody from Liverpool. And um, 
I thought that was a really good way of putting it, you know. Absolutely. Feel good, sensational Alex Harvey band. You know, that he was like basically doing that whole Johnny Rotten thing before Johnny Rotten, you know. Sneering at the crowd and all the rest of it. And you know, it was like a menacing character on stage. But it was like a character, you know. Yeah, hundred percent. Like I've always found it fascinating how you know in America the proto-punk stuff is very much defined. Like people talk about the Stooges and the MC5 and the Velvet Underground as being the precursors to punk, but it doesn't really get taken up in the same way. But like even like status quo and like bands or like bands like that, like there's a what they're doing that approach to kind of rock and roll is bringing it back in the same way that the Ramones would be doing a couple years later in America or a few years later. Well, that's mad that you should say that because it yeah and like a. I've got this book coming out, you know, and I've said exactly that. Like, there's not a lot of difference between status quo and the Ramones, except that uh, status quo wore flared, Levi's, <laughs> Ramones wore straights, 501s. <laughs> yeah, no, 100%. And it's not a lot of difference. And status quo was one of the first bands, well, it was the first band that I went to see live. Oh, amazing. And it was amazing. It was around about that period of uh, Dog of Two Heads, Pile Driver kind of period. That they did paper plane and all that stuff, and they were they were amazing live. They were like energy central, you know, just fucking amazing. And uh, but then, you know, as time goes on, everybody gets older and they sort of mellow out or whatever, and they become like seen as a bit crap. But they they weren't crap. They were brilliant. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I like you watch some footage from that time period, or you you like you know obviously those records, they hold up like that. That whole period, like that kind of hard glam, I guess glam uh, period, uh, once again, of English rock music is just, it's so good. And it's just so, like it is that spirit of like true rock and roll that punk tr really tries to capture later on. Yeah. I think, you know, New York Dolls obviously were heavily, you know, influencing people over here as well. Mm -hmm. You know, all that stuff. So you said that was the first show you went to, Status Quo. Who else did they play with? They were on with Slade. Oh, amazing. And Slade were amazing as well. It blew my mind. It was like, I was only like 12 or something. And uh, it was in this place called a stadium, Liverpool Boxing Stadium. Um, it, they knocked it down, but it was like this amazing sort of 1930s Art Deco building. Can't believe they just bulldozed stuff like that down. Yeah. And, and I think it was a car park for years, you know, just like, a bit of waste ground kind of thing same with same with the cavern and you know the cavern club they, they knocked that down that's a build a fake one <laughs> so much demand for the cat you know they wake up wait a minute uh, that band the beatles were, weren't they quite popular uh, <laughs> hey what, what are the, yeah right yeah the beatles yeah they were they were popular in the 60s weren't they well they're still popular now what, what where did they play the cavern and oh, we knocked it down that was a good idea wasn't it Fucking morons. <laughs> that seems to be a thing with Liverpool. Like, I remember even the first time I went there, you know, in, in the year, I guess it was 2004, it, it, it had changed so radically by the time I went back there in, like, 2010, you know, or going back there in 2010, 2012. Like, it just seems like there's a lot of, like, knocking down old buildings that goes on in that city and sort of rebuilding on top of it. Yeah. Well, Hitler did a bit fair amount of it as well. That's true. Before that, I guess that I guess there's that kind of like maybe it's from that like that sort of mentality of re needing to I rebuild. Know. I don't know. Like it was, 
an amazing architecturally it was one of the most amazing cities in the world before adolf got his bombers on it you know mm. so i don't know uh, what was it, the scene like in liverpool as far as like local bands or or was there many sort of bands happening at that time uh, what, what, when we started? No, no, before that. I'm talking like even when you're going oh, to these yeah, sort of well, status quo shows. Oh, right. Well, there, there was this whole thing in Liverpool, the Liverpool Poets. It was kind of, there was a thing called the Liverpool Scene. That was the name of the band. And uh, there, it was like a cross between sort of folk, jazz, rock, and poetry. Sounds a bit poncy now, but they were like radical, you know, kind of anti war hippies, you know. Yeah. Uh, local Adrian Henry was in them and um you, you know and before that there was a band called uh, the 23rd Turnoff which did this amazing single called Michelangelo don't know if they've ever heard that no I haven't heard that I gotta check that out they were from Kirby and uh they were kind of psychedelic but they, they were they were a Mercy Beat band first called the Kirby's and um but you know Mercy Beat kind of died off or whatever and they went a bit psychedelic and they, I've only got forgot I think they've only ever done one single. I'm not sure. A bloke called Jimmy Campbell was in them. Who became? He was a bit of a local hero around here, you know. With the Liverpool scene bands, like, is it, it sounds kind of like the Fugs or like the stuff that was going on ESP in New York? Like, you know, like is it kind of like yippie-ish? Like you mentioned, it was political. Yeah, it was dead political. It was all anti-Vietnam and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were kind of, um, yeah, like the the poems were were sort of political, but they were kind of funny as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There was there was elements of comedy in there, and uh, my brother used to go and see him in Liverpool at the you know various places. There'd be nobody there, like half a dozen people or something. <laughs> and it used to be a pub called O'Connor's, and the all all the heads used to go there in Liverpool, you know, to score dope or whatever. And um, you know they were always hanging out there and doing shows there and poetry readings and stuff. I love all that stuff. I was too young for all that, you know, but I wish I'd sort of, uh, you know, but I wish I was a little bit older or could have seen some of that stuff. What, what, what kind of music was, were these bands kind of playing with the, with the comedy stuff that was interspersed with it? Was it like hard rock stuff or is it, I guess, proto? Uh, no, it was kind of, uh, some of it was kind of jazzy, you know, like free form jazz stuff. And then other bits would be folky, you know, kind of acoustic guitars and, I can play you some if you want. <laughs> oh no, I, I definitely believe me. This is on my new playlist uh, of stuff I got to check out. Um, that's why yeah. I love doing this show is because I feel like, like right off the bat with that Sex Pistols thing, I feel like the history of rock and roll that we are given or that's kind of shown to us is is very codified. It's very like, like it, it's very uh, mono in its presentation, and there's just so much richness to stuff that didn't maybe become huge hits internationally, especially. Yeah, well, it was a totally underground scene, you know. It was it was a bit like, you know, like all Ginsberg and all them dudes when they came over and they played the Albert Hall. You know, you can imagine that, like it was poetry at the Albert Hall and it sold out. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. It's it's wild to think how much that stuff crossed over at that yeah. time into like mainstream pop culture. Like it is very radical, very political, at times very confrontational stuff. Yeah, and, and there was like a lot of um, underground press at the time as well, like, you know, International Times and Oz, these sorts of things. I don't know whether you've ever heard of them. They were kind of uh, out of London, Ladbroke Grove area. And, you know, people like um, uh, like 
what's his name? I can't remember his bloody name. He did a book called Give the Anarchist a Cigarette. I can't remember what it's called now. Oh, yeah, what is this? Um, so, one of the Pink Fairies, I think, or was involved with the Pink Fairies. McFerrin? Is it McFerrin? Yeah, McFerrin. Yeah, oh, man, that band is incredible. Did you ever see them? Yeah. Oh, amazing. Yeah. They, they came out to Liverpool, I guess? They must have toured. Uh, I saw them at the stadium. Were they on by themselves, or did they have support? I can't remember if they were if they had a support. Can't remember that, but I know it's one of the few gigs I actually left because it was too. <laughs> just, they were just completely out of it. <laughs> I was only young, you know, so I'd have a lot to compare it to, you know. But it was <laughs> I, they just didn't seem to be able to. They, they seemed to be all like out of the minds and couldn't play. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I could see that being a little weird to see as a kid. Yeah. So we just, me and me mate Davo, we just thought, oh, this is shit. Let's go. <laughs> I did about 50 to get in. Oh, that's amazing. I love the records, you know, like, you know, Bunch of Sweeties and Never Neverland and, you know, uh, Kings of Oblivion and all them. And they're quite heavy rock, aren't they, really? There's nothing that unusual about them. But, uh, you know, Mick Farron was the Deviants, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've got that. I've got a couple of their things. Patoof, I think, one of them. Well, and it's also funny because, like, Mick Farron does, I think, a single on Stiff later on, but Twink from the band, Twink, like, yeah. does so many amazing punk records from, like, The Rings to, to the Twink solo record on Chiswick. Like, like, really, they seem like a band that, once again, much in the way that we're talking about status quo, is like a, a, a definite bridge between the two scenes. Even the fact that they're on stage too fucked up to play is kind of yeah. like in the same way that punk tells people like, yeah, you you can get up on stage in any state and do this. Yeah. Like it, it's almost the same sort of like free approach to rock and roll. Yeah. You know, it was uh, pretty radical. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, like Twink. Yeah. Twink was in, the, it was in um, Pretty Things, wasn't he, for a bit? Yeah. Yeah, I've spoke to Twink on the phone, I think, once, and I've got a record by him uh, with that he did with uh, Bevis Frond. You ever heard of that? No, the I got to check that out. He's his catalog's incredible. Yeah. What, what's yeah, that? What's that kind of like? Eh, psychedelic, you know, mm-hmm. kind of kind of be psychedelia or whatever. So is that the big scene in Liverpool at the time? Like, is it is it people that are into like sort of, you know, I mean, once again, we're talking pro pre-punk, but like sort of this like hairy freak beat hippie or post hippie kind of hard rock scene. Yeah, it was it was a lot of hard rock kind of stuff, you know. Um, Bad Company did their first gig at the stadium. Um, I saw Robin Trower, ACDC with Bon Scott. Oh, uh, awesome. Yeah, music with Eno. <laughs> All that stuff. You know, that, that was, music was the only thing I was interested in. Mm-hmm. You know. What did you make of bands like the Ramones and stuff when you started hearing, you know, and even like the Stooges and the New York Dolls, like, were, were you hearing that stuff at the same time? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. My, well, my mate bought the Ramones LP. Um, his name is Dave Mazenko, and he, he bought this Ramones LP. Ages before we would we'd heard a punk, you know. We, you know, so we had the LP, the first one, and um, I don't know where he heard about it, but he, he you know, we used to just play it in his bedroom. Uh, it was all about going to each other's houses and playing records. Then you know, that's what it was all about, or swapping records. We did a lot of 
bartering and trading records with each other, you know. I'll give you sticky fingers, you give me gimme shelter or whatever, <laughs> you know. Well, it's that limited means, right? Like it's everything costs money at this point. So you, you kind of have to rely on on networks of people and it, it really does help build scenes in that way. Yeah. And I, I had I had like a um you know, paper round what I did in the morning and of the an evening. So made a bit of money that way. And used to save me money and go and just buy on buy records. That was it. Or um, you know, hi-fi equipment or you know, like cheapo hi-fi equipment at the time. You know, it was all about that. It was all about buying record players, uh, cassette players. Cassettes had just been invented a few years before. Mm-hmm. Um, and we used to tape everything we had before that. We had uh, the Mazenkos over the road. They had a they had a Grundy reel to reel, and we used to tape you know the top forty and top of the pops and all that. But it was a lot. A lot of it we you know it was it was the bands like you know when Quo were on doing in my chair or whatever that we like you know. That's a great track, you know that one. Oh, it's amazing! Yeah, they're they're you know once again like an this this band that Tool is another one that we liked. Like Jethro Tull to me, like everyone goes on about them being all like hairy fairy and all singing about fucking trolls, but they don't. They're all about like you know Ian Anderson's upbringing and you know problems and stuff. The the songs are great, and and they're not a million miles away from Beef Art. Mm-hmm. You know, some of like that early stuff. You know, song for Jeffrey and all that. It's could be a beef art track. So um, shut up about Tull and get into them. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the best albums are brilliant, you know, benefit and stand up and all that. And they're ah. heavy. They're they're heavy as hell. Like th- those riffs are are hard. Yeah. Well, yeah, I saw them early doors as well. You know, I didn't see him at the stadium, but I did see him at the Empire in Liverpool. So what were these shows like? Like what were the 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 other people at these shows, was it like a heavy scene where there were a lot of fights or was it more just people like, you know, doing a lot of drugs? Like what were, what was the environment like? I was a kid. So I, you know, I didn't see it yeah. like, you know, nobody was doing drugs by me type of thing. But um, I think there was a lot of speed floating around back then. Mm-hmm. I think that was like a, a thing. You never used to smell weed so much like you do now. You know, and in America, it's everywhere, isn't it now? Because it's, you know, it's available. But um, it, it's, it was, um, wasn't that violent. Well, the place used to get trashed. You know, the stadium had seats and after gigs, the seats would be, you know, they'd all be broken. <laughs> you know, there's photos online if you want to look at Liverpool Stadium, the aftermath of some of the gigs and the, the, the first front rows are all, mashed you know they're just knackered wow that's uh, yeah like it, it's something that's been come up uh on the show before you know and once again from experience of going there from past guests that are from liverpool that is a really hard city and it's the city where you know famously the cockney rejects got beat up when they went and played discharge got beaten up when they went and played like it is a city that you know it's it's amazing all the incredible art that comes out of it because there's also you know it, it is a hard city and it's 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 a tough town yeah, yeah, I suppose so. I don't know. I don't think it is really. I got beat up there, so maybe that's why I'm, I'm tainted by it. <laughs> well, uh, what happened, Malcolm? What happened? Uh, I, it was uh, uh, it was that. I'll edit this part out because I think people on the show are, are have heard the story before because it's come up. But uh, we were playing <laughs> at uh, the Liverpool Sound City 
um, show. Slightly then. Yeah, it was about, I guess it was about like six years ago, five years ago. You know. And uh, we were playing a show. This couple in the crowd started getting harassed by this group of, you know, chavs, I guess, for lack of a better term. And I went down into the crowd in the middle of the band set and the band keeps playing because I normally go into the crowd and I, you know, go over to this group of guys along with a lot of people in the audience. And I'm like, you guys should leave. And we tried to like phalanx them out and they yeah. break the phalanx and come back and punch this couple in the face. And so at that point I just try and fight them. And then it's, all of a sudden I realized like I am completely overwhelmed by the number of people that are in this crew. And it only lasted about, you know, two minutes i'd say three minutes when it when they really got me down on the ground but that's a good three minutes of them stomping on me and i'm i'm lucky i covered up and didn't lose consciousness but you know we finished the gig but it definitely was one of the weirdest shows ever the flaming lips were playing on the other stage at the same time so i i got this weird melange of my own band playing and the flaming lips bleeding together as i'm trying to cover up from being booted in the head oh yeah <laughs> so you know I, and i don't mean that in a disrespectful way it's, it's honestly my favorite place in in england to go like i've got so many friends there and that's the first place i ever played and like the you know obviously the beatles and, and the big three and the mersey beat stuff but like as you're bringing up the whole way through it's such a rich cultural town um yeah. but it does have this reputation of being you know a hard town like once again like from myself to to discharge like people are getting stomped out Wow. Like you do hear about it, but I've never encountered much of that, really. And I lived in town for, you know, right in the center for a while. And socks too. Where were you buying music, um, like at this point? Like when you're a younger kid, like where, what were the record stores you were going to? Uh, there was one in Walton Vale, which is like on the way to Liverpool. Uh, and that would, they used to sell records, but they also sell sold uh, bicycles as well. <laughs> <laughs> it was a weird combination. There was a place called NEMS, North End Music Store. Have you ever heard of that? That was owned by, um, you know, what's his name? Uh, the manager of the Beatles. What's his bloody name? Uh, Brian Epstein, is Epstein. that? Yeah, his family owned this North End Music Store. Did they have a label at some point that put out the boy single yeah. or something? Yeah, they put out records as well, like kind of pop records, I think. Oh, excellent. Okay, yeah, no, I totally know that. What about Probe Records? Was that going? Probe was uh, started in like about the early 70s, I think it started. And that was up in uh, Clarence Street, which was right by where my flat used to be. But they'd moved by the time I, I had that flat. Um, I did go there. I did buy Gong flying uh Flying teapot, invisible part two, <laughs> or whatever. You know, I bought that there. Was it part one? Anyway, I did buy that there. Was it? It was, it was almost like a little kiosk. It wasn't even. It wasn't. It was a tiny. Like it became like a a place selling sandwiches. You know, mm-hmm. um, like a little kiosk thing. Uh, Virgin started round about that time, around the early seventies, and they were on Bowl Street. I think it was the third shop that Virgin had opened. 60 Bowl Street, I think it was, which is in the centre of town, you know. Yeah. Kind of like the the hip street, if you like. You know, a lot of shops, a lot of clothes shops, and it's full of restaurants now, thousands of them. Was Probe Records more of a prog rock store? 
uh, well, it was at the beginning, it was just, you know, an outsider kind of thing. You know, it was like, like when Virgin started, they were kind of like the, the cool label. You know mm. what I mean? They were, you know, they had Faust on it and, you know, you know, um, Tubular Bells was was a hippie record. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was like people forget about that, 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 you know, that it was, it was kind of like when, when Virgin started getting into all the sorts of punk stuff. I remember sort of thinking, oh, they're just jumping in on the bandwagon, you know, <laughs> yeah. and, it, and it put me off a bit, put me off the pistols a bit, and it put me off, uh, you know, they all, they all said they, they seem to sign everybody. They had this sort of policy of sign everyone and someone might make it, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, one of these, don't put your eggs and all your eggs in one basket kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And also very much on trend too. It felt like when they signed the Sex Pistols, like it would have been, as you're saying, post that Bill Grundy episode, like they would have been sort of like the 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 band du jour in the press. Like it would have been such an obvious move to sign them, I guess. Yeah, they were going for like the you know the controversial element, but they you know the Virgin were an underground kind of thing at the beginning. Mm-hmm. You know. What about John Peel? Like, you know, obviously you guys go on to do so many legendary sessions with him, but like, were you into some of the, cause he was doing pirate radio stuff before that, right? It was a bit before my time that, and he, he was in America for a while, wasn't he? Was it, I think it was Dallas or somewhere. He was on a radio show over there. Uh, no, it was a little bit before my time, I think. I never used to listen to, I only started listening to John Peel when the punk stuff kind of started happening you know but, but we used to listen to it religiously like every night he was on you know and record all the shows and then play them constantly in the van going to gigs you know yeah he had such an amazing ear or like you know obviously other people helping him too as in terms of producers but just like the stuff that they were doing on that show right up until the end it was always like really interesting kind of not necessarily mainstream stuff, never mainstream stuff. Like it was always just stuff that he found interesting, it seems. Well, that's the first time I had the residence was on John Peel's show. And it was, uh, you know, uh, Meet the Residents, that album. They played about 10 minutes of that because it's not really, you know, it's kind of the the first bit is sort of cover versions, if you like. You know, they do <laughs> were made for walking, but it's you wouldn't recognize it really, you know. Um, yeah. The- yeah, well, you you and you end up doing records for them, right? Or or Cordova Records does does Residence Records at some point. Were you guys and R on that label? No, Caro. You know, I heard you talking to um, somebody, and they were going on about record labels pretending to be indies and stuff like that. Yeah, well, that's kind of what was going on. It was basically our deal was with uh, Warner WEA Warner Electra Asylum. I think they were WEA Records and. But they they wanted to appear hip. <laughs> so they invented this Corova Records, which we went along with. We liked the idea, you know. We, yeah. But not not because it was like a fake label, but we liked the idea of being called Corova because we loved Clockwork Orange, you know. It's also like a, what a great label. Like go back and look at that. You know, when you go back and look at that catalog, like there's a lot of you know, obviously yourselves and so many classic records, but there's, you know, the residence, the sound, uh, teardrop explodes, I think at some points on there too. Right. Like there's, it feels yeah, like, it, it feels they like on, they were on, um, 
they were on phonogram or polydor one of them okay sorry dalek i love you i believe is on there there's 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 just like a a real experimental uh cool cross-section of bands yeah yeah uh what how did uh how did echo and the bunnymen come together uh it was kind of um well, you know, obviously with punk, everybody was starting bands, weren't they? It was like all of a sudden you didn't have to be Jan Ackerman to be in a band, you know. Mm-hmm. You know a couple of chords and have a bit of an attitude and, you, you know, throw it throw it down and that was it, you know, simple. So it was kind of a thing that just everybody was doing. And it wasn't like something I was, I was thinking, oh, I know, I'm going to be, I'm going to start a band. We're going to... Uh, you know, sell loads of records. I wasn't interested. Still not interested. Now I'm selling loads of records. Like, you know, it's not, it was never about that. It was just about being creative. It was a creative urge that there was no stopping, really. And um, I didn't even, it just sort of fell into place. It wasn't, it wasn't like a plan. I, you know, Steve Diggle was saying the same thing, wasn't he? Yeah. You know? Yeah. He was saying it all just fell into place. And, you didn't think about it that much. It was just like, I know, let's let's start a band. But so what what happened? Basically, what happened was, I'd bought a drum machine, and I had a crappy guitar, and I was making tapes and stuff at home, just like thrashing away and learning how to play the guitar. I was twenty, something like that, and um, might have even been nineteen when I sort of started. But I swapped a pair of plastic punk pants pants with uh, a mate of mine called Paul Simpson. He was in a band called the Wild Swans. But he was in Teardrop Explodes then. So I got this crappy K guitar. It was, it was like, I didn't know how to tune it. didn't know anything about guitars. So I bought a, a little booklet that had all the shapes of where you put your fingers, you know, like dots on the strings where you put your fingers. And I just started playing from one shape to the next. You know, just going, trying to get dexterous with your fingers, you know. And um, I got to the point where I was making like these weird little tapes. And a lot of them are just noise. I've got some of them downstairs. I played one yesterday and it was uh, difficult to listen to. <laughs> a lot of, like some of the sounds was getting out of it. I was like, how oh, the fucking hell have I made that sound? It sounded like somebody in a blender or something. Yeah. <laughs> and um, it was just nuts. And so I just sort of, I don't know, I suppose I must have thought at some point I want to be in a band. You know, I can't remember that sort of light bulb moment or anything. And I went to this party. It was all the people from Eric's. It was a party in a place called Kirkland's. And I'd seen Mac in Eric's, didn't really know him, you know, and he was sat on his own. And it, But he was the only person there that I kind of vaguely knew. So I just, you know, went up to him and said, oh, all right, what are you waiting for or what are you waiting for? And he said, I'm waiting for the gift of vision. And I thought that was really cool, cause, you know, because it's off uh, Sound and Vision by David Bowie. Yeah. And um, I just sort of thought, well, someone had mentioned that he could sing and he'd been thrown out of Teardrop Explodes a couple of weeks before for, um, you know, basically not turning up to rehearsals, even though the rehearsals were in his flat. <laughs> Just stayed in bed. <laughs> Amazing. You know, dedication to idleness <laughs> beyond the call of duty there. And um, 
so I just said, fancy coming around to our house, you know, and dick around with guitars and see what happens, you know. And he did, he turned up eventually, and he brought his acoustic, and we used to just talk about with guitars. Then I got um, a Telecaster from um, uh, Rushworth in Liverpool, which was a big music shop, on, on like, you know, weekly payments. And I bought a drum machine, and then we just started arsing around with, like, with this drum machine. The drum machine really helped because it meant you you kept in time. So was, we were really good at being in time, you know. Yeah. Where did the, where did the influence for uh, that noise stuff that you're doing? Uh, you know, I guess is that the stuff that winds up on Weird as Fish? Yeah, sort of that, and it was actually worse than that. Possible, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know. So. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I, I liked Eno. I liked, uh, I bought Metal Machine music on import when it came out. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. I just used to think making noises and stuff was art or something. I don't know. Because the only bands I can think of also that are using drum machines at that time, like it's not, you know, a very common instrument, but like, you know, you're Metal Urbane and yeah, an incredible band, absolutely phenomenal band. And, but in yourselves, like it's really like, is that you know once again is that an influence on you to do that or where's that influence to use a drum machine coming from um well it, I, it was mainly from Eno, but i did i did have the matt lairbane record you know um what was it called historic hysteric something or other panic well, a fascista yeah. <laughs> yes <laughs> it, it's that's his first that's the first record on rough trade too you know it's like uh it's it's oh, such it's an important that. single yeah, I've got I've got that, and I've got like a, a compilation album. But I like that. But I also like Suicide. Mm-hmm. Oh um, yeah, absolutely. I'm sorry, I should have mentioned them. Um, like Suicide at the time, but they were like everybody in Liverpool loved them. You know, I don't know. They got bottled off in places like you hear about these gigs where they were Suicide got bottled off in Paris or whatever it was. It's like what? There were gods in Liverpool. <laughs> I think they were, weren't they booked to like opening for someone really weird too? Like, were they opening for not Sham 69, but someone like really weird when they got bottled off maybe? But maybe, yeah. Yeah. I know when, when they played Eric's, they were supporting. I, I can never remember who it was. It was either Devo or Perubu. What a bill. Holy. Yeah. Were you into Perubu at all? Well, I love them. They're one of my favorite bands, you know? Yeah. I love all that stuff. Like I, I like punk and I like the energy of punk and all that, but I like the, it, it didn't last long. It was about a year before everything started changing. Like, you know, why I did one five four, which you can't call punk. You know? Well, I, that's, that's interesting. You bring up. Cause like, to me, I do call it punk. Like I, I kind of view everything that kind of like comes out of this thing as being part of this diaspora, but like, do you feel it's much more defined than that? I just think it had expanded. It's like, you know, punk, really was thrashing away and you know a bit of angry shouting mm-hmm. and then it sort of changed it started getting you know like it still had the sort of essence but it was you can't i don't know i don't think you could call 154 but i think it's more like early pink floyd than anything else or um prog rock or something yeah you yeah, Perubu were like experimental. They were before punk anyway. They they sort of drifted into punk, didn't they? Because they were like, I suppose they didn't have anywhere to pigeon. Everyone likes to pigeonhole everything. So, you know, where did they go? Perubu, you know, 
they looked a bit weird. They looked like, yeah, they'd come from the set of a J- David Lynch film or something. Yeah. And, uh, they were amazing. They they were amazing. Like, I loved them so much, pair of that, that modern dance LP. Oh, incredible. A, a godly record. Like, and, and like, I think they're punk because what else are they? You know, in the same way that I, you know, like you're bringing up the residents, like, obviously, you know, never really. A, a sonically a punk band but you know they kind of weirdly fit in i just had yeah. nicole panter on and uh she talked about how they were kind of like weird tangentially connected to the la punk scene just through you know some of their some of the people they knew and some of the people in san francisco they were connected to so like it's almost like punk is a place for all the people that don't fit in anywhere else like yeah you know and it was a lot of art a lot of art is involved in in this whole thing you know and it's a lot of a lot of influence of Dada. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so it's sort of, I think that, you know, like look at the Pistols covers, look at Jamie Reed's stuff, you know, it's just totally Dada in it, you know, the, the, the lettering and everything and the sort of collage pasted stuff together. And Yeah, yeah. no, 100%. And it's, it's also like it gives people like, you know, yourselves permission i don't know like well i don't mean to put words in your mouth when i say this but like permission to do music and take music to completely different places like it feels like like the art meets the street like it's dr feelgood meets dada and out of it comes the sort of musical explosion that we're still dealing with like you know like obviously i do a podcast all about it but you know i i i really do see it everywhere like the influence is still being felt the reverberations oh yeah it's crazy like you know like we're we're getting on to be punk pensioners yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, but I still feel the same. Like you know, it's like I still, I'm interested in stuff that you know that started then, mm-hmm. and you know, I don't know. It's kind of weird, isn't it? The way it's still with you. Yeah, absolutely. I, I uh, what about Zoo Records? Like, how did that relationship come around? Because it's like the people from Big in Japan that started, or the Big in Japan's the first record they put out, right? Yeah, well, it was Bill and uh, Dave Balfe. Well, it was really Bill first, and then Dave Balfe sort of w- wanted to do it with him, so he sort of got involved. And, um, yeah, they put Big in Japan out, but they sort of broke up. It was kind of put out after Big in Japan had packed in. <laughs> weird. Um, and, you know, it was just a, a Liverpool label, and it was kind of cool. Wow, Liverpool's got this label, you know, Zoo Records, you know. So I was buying it all, even if I did, didn't like the records or not, because it was kind of, you felt like sort of uh, loyal yeah. <laughs> to it. You know? And then Teardrops, they were our friends from Eric's and they, they got a deal with them. And Julian said to Bill, why don't you get our mates on, you know, the Bunnymen, that band that, you know, that supported us. Because we our first gig was just supporting Teardrops. We did one song and it was basically Les joined on the the Saturday, he bought a bass on the Sunday, and the gig was on the Wednesday. I think we rehearsed on the Monday or the Tuesday. <laughs> me and only me and Les. Mac never turned up, by the way. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, so like I, I'd forgotten that, but I was speaking to Les about it, and he said, "Mac never turned up." You know, don't you remember? We were just me and you in that basement. We went to this weird basement that, when the tide came in, the water came in. It was just. <laughs> It's like mud on the floor. It was so weird. So you played literally in the Mersey. <laughs> yeah, we, it, was, it was like when the Mersey came in, the, the, 
the water table went up and this basement flooded. There was like little lumps of mud what we were standing on. <laughs> and I like keeping out of the water, you know, with our amps plugged into the mains and everything. <laughs> it's like, well, what are we doing? Well, we didn't, we only had one amp. Lev, me and Les were both going through my amp that I'd bought off the catalogue. You know, the um, the sort of like HP, you know, weekly payment kind of thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was just... It was, it was everything was so quick, but I didn't think anything was going to happen, or you know, didn't even sort of wish for anything to happen. No, it was just like, oh, this is cool, let's do this, you know, yeah, be everyone, you know. And then as things go, as you know, one thing leads to another, and it starts feeling like, wow, we are a band, it's us against the world, you know. Mm-hmm. You kind of like it's like it being in a gang or the scouts or something, you know, or some sort of army, you, you know, against everybody. And everyone hated each other in them days, you know. Everyone, you know, they did like you know all the all the other bands were jealous of all the other bands, including us, you know. So it was all a lot of jealousy and a lot of like, oh, there's that lad out there, they shit them, aren't they? Yeah, <laughs> that sort of thing, you know. No, don't, don't go down there. They think he's down there. He's a knobhead. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we, it, part it, of that in Liverpool. Liverpool's a very bitchy place, and we were we're as guilty as anybody else, if not worse. You almost need that though, as a young band, as like a self defense thing to prevent, you know, like to help you build up the resilience to to make it. You know, you need to you need to hate those other bands to I don't know just to just to to spurn yourself on in a weird way i liked all the manchester bands like i my my sort of nickname was manchester for a bit but i don't remember anybody saying it to me but paul simpson you mate he always says your your nickname was manchester because you you dressed like you were from manchester like you know it's 30 miles away so you know it's like i was guessing like the way they did 30 miles away so it was like some sort of weird tribe or something you know it's crazy it's like but we were into the fall, you know, the fall were our band. We we all loved the fall, you know. And um Joy Division, obviously, when they appeared, uh certain ratio. Yeah. It's, Not so it, much from the dogs. <laughs> it, it, well, it's interesting because dogs though, love them. Oh, incredible band. In, incredible band. Like yeah. it's it's interesting though, like how you know you bring up you know all those factory bands and how canonized that scene is, but like you look at the zoo records run and it's nothing to to slouch at. There's like incredible talent there that that label's discovering. And it just seems like it's, it's never really celebrated in the same way that creation and, and, um, and of course factory are because like, even those, that those naughty lumps, Iggy pops jacket single, that's a classic. Yeah. <laughs> Bill Drum played the solo on that. That's really, yeah. <laughs> that's awesome that is amazing i i love that single so much and you actually you wind up doing uh a, a, a band with bobby carr right bobby carr from uh the uh, surreal uh surreal estate oh yeah 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 i i helped him do some produ- producing that's all oh yeah. i love that op- that first 12 inch i think you play some guitar on it too yeah it was just like he was doing it and he said come and help us and I think it might have been me and Les or a couple of us went to Elf just because we knew him, you know, he's a nice lad. It feels like by that point, it does, like, at least from the outside, look like it was kind of a scene of, of bands. Like, it feels like that competition had kind of died off by that point. 
yeah, there was, you know, there was a few bands that we got on with. Okay. Um, can't quite think of any at the minute. <laughs> uh, uh, no, we just think they were all shit. Was there, uh, was there that kind of competition with Manchester? Like you mentioned, they gave you that nickname um, and it is so well, close. Yeah, there was like sorts of competition, but we respected the Manchester bands. We liked them, you know. For some reason, we we got on with them and we liked them. And the fall were sort of almost mates, you know. Mm-hmm. Like Mac, Mac was sort of mates with Marky e. Smith, I think, until they started having a go at each other in the press. I think once we started to get more famous than them, or whatever, or bigger than them, whatever you want to call it. Uh, they kind of fell out. Yeah, you know, we were more of attention than they were, and he started like, I don't know, they started slagging each other off or something like that. He he definitely was, uh, you know, a, a notoriously curmudgeonly fellow as well. So I think you know that might have been some... Yeah, in my my experience, that's funny. That funny. <laughs> we were supposed to do a tour with him one time. And all the experiences dealing with them to the run of the tour. Suffice to say, the tour never happened. But oh. it was like, I felt like I was getting sort of the legendary experience of dealing with Mark. Rest in peace, obviously, as well, with all due respect to him. But it was definitely a... Uh... <laughs> we, we did a couple of sports forum and stuff like that. You know, we used to go to Manchester to see him in the in the bunny, the bunny van, you know. What what was it like when you guys started traveling? Like obviously outside of you in Manchester, like when you started playing out other shows, were there other scenes kind of happening that were going towards, you know, as you know, the more post punk stuff at that time? Yeah, we we you know it was it was like a Sheffield thing going on, which was more like electronic world, you know, with mm-hmm. Human League and Cabaret Voltaire, that sort of stuff. Yeah, but you know, it was great travel. Like traveling is the best thing that's happened about being in the band. I think, you know, I, there was no chance I was going to go around the world. You know, I, yeah. I was I was a trainee chef flipping burgers. Yeah. yeah, no, I was thinking about that today. Like just the, the the opportunities that bands afford people, like to 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 go place and experience those cultures in a way you would never get to experience, even as a tourist. Yeah, it was like it was like being in the army. You know, you travel around, but you, the only good thing is you don't have to kill anyone. Yeah, yeah that's a great thing. About that was it. an advantage. <laughs> what was the uh, what was it like when you started going to Europe? Were you know early on? Like when did you start going to Europe? Was it before the first LP? Uh, yeah, I think it was. We we were sort of became like flavor of the month, and we were like the new hip kids on the block. You know, uh, with this drum machine and everything. It was kind of you know, a cool kind of thing. You know, we were sort of seen as like these cool dudes. And we were like a bit, bit, you know, obnoxious and mardy, you know. <laughs> so it was kind of... Uh, um, there was these hipsters in in uh, Belgium. And they, I think they were, all, they were all like sort of diplomats kids or something. You know, they all seemed to have loads of money. Yeah. And I'd never been anywhere. I'd been to Wales for three days. That was it, you know, it's only 50 miles away. And um, they, they put, put on these gigs at this place called the Plan K. Joy Division had been there the week before, and uh, I think certain ratio. Uh, and we were like, you know, in the getting in the papers all the time and all that, you know, the, the enemy and the melody maker and the sounds and that. 
and we had this single out, which was, you know, single of the week and everything, mm-hmm. which was crazy, you know, but it was just so different to everything else. I think people just thought, well, that's different, you know, uh, which was pictures on my wall. And uh, so we got asked to do this gig in Belgium. So we just went over there and it was, it was a real eye opener. You know, I've never been anywhere, like I say. Uh, it was a, a brilliant place. It was in a disused sugar refinery. That's awesome. Those those shows are so legendary too, because as you mentioned, there's just a run of like sort of incredible bands, and they're getting them so early. Like you know, you guys are just obviously that single is extremely it's a legendary single and extremely popular at that point. But still, like the fact they're booking yourselves and Joy Division a certain ratio, and there's a couple other bands I think they booked too, maybe another two. I don't know exactly but it just feels like you know these dip these diplomats with a lot of money had had a great ear for the bands that would become sort of important years later yeah well you know they were hipsters you know they they were watching the scenes and they liked that sort of stuff yeah absolutely they were sound you know we like it was a you know you remember at the time the pubs over here shut at half 10 i think it was 11 o'clock at the weekends so that was it then. You know, clubs could stay up until two, but everywhere just shut. You know, it was, it was rubbish. It <laughs> you know, was shut on a Sunday. Yeah. No shops open on a Sunday. Half day Wednesday, everything was shut. Yeah. For some reason. You know, <laughs> it, it's like it goes back to some sort of weird 15th century thing or something, you know. Yeah. I think I think the pub's closing goes back to the... Um, First World War. They didn't want everybody getting smashed up, you know, when there was a war on. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But but then we, when we went to Belgium to Brussels, we didn't go out till twelve o'clock at night. We're all knackered and that, you know. So we didn't know what the hell was going on. Like you know, we'll all meet at eleven in this bar called the Falstaff, which was like this dead ornate, amazing, like you know, old school Belgian bar. You know, right by the Bourse and the, the uh, Grand Grand Place, which is like this dead, fucking brilliant medieval square. And it was, couldn't believe it, you know, couldn't believe it. And us, us and Teardrop Explodes went over and we did like a double, you know, a sort of, we supported them, uh, them I think, you know. And uh, then we went over on our own and did it when Pete joined. So... Yeah. What was it like going to America for the first time? I didn't like it at first. It was too, it, everyone seemed to be too fake. <laughs> yeah. But like, it all just seemed like a bit like, oh. and the record company people were getting on my nerves. They were all like, you know, Archie Put, Putkin or whatever it is on Spinal Tap. They were all just like him. <laughs> What's his name? I know exactly the character. I'm trying to remember <laughs> I, I, who plays him too. Is it Bruno? Kirby? Not Bruno Kirby. It's someone uh, I can't remember who plays him now. No, it was all like you know. By the way, which one's pink? You know that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no. Echo, you know all that. And that that's why like we invented that story that the drum machine was Echo <laughs> because everybody was starting to think Mac was Echo. <laughs> like we didn't want to be Huey Lewis in the news. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> even he didn't like it either you know he didn't want to be called echo or whatever 
Well, it's good. It's good. You can nip that sort of lead singer ego right off the bat. That's the, that's the move. Yeah. Well, what do you think? <laughs> what, uh, what was it like working on with Sire and being on Sire? Cause once again, Seymour Stein, like from Madonna to the Ramones, you know, yourselves to radio Birdman, like he was signing a lot of really cool Ads. stuff. Talking heads. Yeah, of course. Well, Sire was my dream label to be on, you know? Yeah. I loved all them bands and um, yeah, and he, he just came to see, we were, we did a thing at the YMCA in London. I'm giving all my book away here. <laughs> the bunny man well, I believe me, I, I will plug your book and when you, when the book does come out, I will read the book and I yeah. want to fill in the margins uh, a little bit. That's my favorite thing to do is when someone puts out a book and then I get even more nerdy stuff to go into, because believe me, we have barely scratched the surface. And there's oh, so much, there's so much I haven't put in it that I've remembered since I've finished it. It's like, well, oh, what did I say about that? And what about that? And that weird party where that bloke turned up in a bloody frogman outfit and you know, <laughs> all kinds of crazy stuff, you know, where you, you know, when I remember we were at this lad called Fat Eddie's house one, one night and he was, everyone was out of it, you know, completely more on beer and whiskey or whatever than anything else. And he fucking put his, put his foot through the telly, his own telly. You know? oh, yeah. It's just, it's just nuts. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Oh, uh, now, Betty, what are you doing? Uh, well, as I say, this has been incredible, Will. And anytime you want to come back on this show, please know you're always welcome. And when the book comes out, especially, I'd love to have you back on to talk about. Yeah, it's going to be. It's on like Third Man Books, which I was really chuffed about. You know, in America, um, I've been to the. I went to the, um, you know, the press implant in Detroit. Mm -hmm. I haven't been yet. I want to go so badly. It was really cool. Yeah, I got like the little guided tour and everything. Yeah. Hey. Dave Buick from uh, Third Man was just on the show a couple weeks ago, and all that uh, list, yeah, yeah, and Ben Ben Blackwell's been on the show before. Um, you know, like talk about a label that just was like, you know, like what what I would do if I ever had Jack White money, that would be my fantasy. Is just like, you know, like you're, you're sitting in front of a wall of records yourself. So I think you're probably the same way. But I would just want to build out this like record kingdom. Yeah, well, I love the fact that they're pressing vinyl. You know, and they're really busy. They even press vinyl for Motown, I think. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, it's it's one of the big plants now. It's brilliant. That is a what a forward-thinking kind of genius that thought that was. I know. I'll, I've got this money. I'll make a plucking record pressing plant because they're all closing down and there's a demand. It's great. Yeah. And it also just shows, like, the fact that they're doing like a publishing thing and doing your book now, like the fact it's just people that love music and just want to share that love of music. Like, I don't, I don't want this to sound like third man propaganda, but like, I don't know. It's just something I've really noticed in my experiences with the people there and the stuff that they put out. Like, it's like, Oh, you're doing this because you love it. Yeah, exactly. That's it. You know, obviously Jack White is a massive music head and he loves it and he loves records and guitars and all the rest of it, you know? So, I've never met him, but he seems like a nice chap. I met him one time when we played there and he came out in, in Nashville and he came out and he was wearing like sort of a tight fitting black shirt. And that's when I realized he is ripped. He looks like a pro wrestler. He is so yeah. jacked. 
I know he didn't he batter someone. I don't know, panned all time. Yeah, there was definitely an incident where after I saw him in person, I was like, oh yeah, no that no one no one messed with that too. He is definitely he looks like he could have been uh, wrestling in Blackpool back in the day or something. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, one thing I did want to talk to you about before you go quickly is you do work with the chameleons on the first uh, single. And then, of course, later on, the chameleons, you know, KLF, you wind up doing stuff with KLF. I'm just wondering what that relationship was like and how did that come about in the very beginning? Well, what, yeah, you know, like, obviously, you know, that the chameleons is not the band, the chameleons. Yes. Yeah, of course. Ellen Dave Balfe, you know, from Zoo Records. But they did a Laurie and the Chameleons record at some point, too, right? Yeah, yeah, I played on one of their things on the B side of one of them. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> you just, you know, just used to do it just because it's all mates, you know. That's yeah. Sort of, yeah, and I know they were, that was their sort of attempt to try to do some sort of pop thing. But, you know, um, the, well, they were just our managers, you know, Bill and Bill and Dave were managers. And they, like on that first LP, Ian Brody produced a couple of them as well. You know, from uh, Lightning Seeds, and he was in another band called the Original Mirrors. Amazing. Yeah, I know the light, definitely know the Lightning Seeds, of course. Yeah, but it was, um, the, you know, they seemed to know a little bit more than we knew. But to be fair, it was mainly Hugh Jones, our engineer, that really knew what to do. You know, they were, they were more vibe merchants, Dave and Bill. And Dave was always trying to get it more poppy. <laughs> I was trying to get it more weird. And, you know, remember Mac had Dave Balf by the throat at one point. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, it was a bit mental. And then, then the second LP, um, Hugh Jones produced it, I think, didn't he? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And um, it was obvious that he knew more than, than what they knew. You know, so yeah, we're all kids. You know, what do we know about producing a record? Nothing. You know, and it always used to freak me out because Ian Brody, when we started working with Ian Brody, we did Rescue and Pride, just two songs. And he knew he knew what all the equipment did in the studio. And he was, he was like younger than me. I was like, I was 20 or something. You know, he's like, how do you know all this? And he said, I don't know, just sort of know it. You know, he knew what a compressor does and all this sort of stuff. Yeah. yeah it's that it's that thing where it's just like you know like i think it's because people didn't necessarily know what they were doing at times though that's why it's so brilliant the stuff that people came up with like you're talking about the experiments that you're doing just based out of you know trying to figure it out and then look at the sound you invent yeah but he you know ian did know what he was doing though he knew he, like when we, that lead guitar thing on rescue mm-hmm. um they did this thing where they slowed the tape down a touch like you know like a little minuscule amount and then i did the guitar thing again and then when it was played back it had that weird chorusy, you know which i've been trying to get ever since and obviously you can't get it because you can't have a tape slowed down live like <laughs> do it twice and then just hang on a minute while i rewind the tape and play that again. <laughs> you know you could probably do a sample in it but it's a bit naff that yeah you know it's not the same it was an approximation of everything you know yeah yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, this has been incredible. And as I say, anytime you want to come on and talk more music, please know the door is always open. Thank you. It's been great. I've enjoyed it. It's been really good.
There's nothing better than talking about music. Thank you, Will, for coming on the show. And you heard right there, Will will be back at some point in the very near future because his book, Bunnyman, is out very soon on Little Brown out of the UK. And pick that book up. You heard right there. This thing will be a doozy. And I can't wait to read it and then have Will back to talk more. That was such a fun conversation. Uh, You know, you never know how it's going to go with someone until you sit down and talk to them. But, man, that was a lot of fun. Speaking of a lot of fun, we're going to keep the literary theme going here on Turn It a Punk with our next episode coming out in actually just a few short days is Theo Kogan from the band The Lunachicks. They have a brand new book called Fallopian Rhapsody that is out now. Um, you should pick this thing up. It is an incredible read. Uh, so I read that thing. Theo came on the show and it is a super fun conversation. Oh my gosh. I was excited. Lauren was excited. My, my long suffering partner was very excited about this one. Our kids were excited because we listened to the Lunachicks in the house. It's a, a, a real moment of excitement in our family. And it'll be an exciting thing for you to listen to in a few short days. All right, that's it. Remember, as always, Black Lives Matter. The lives of Indigenous people matter. We need to protect trans kids. We need to help trans people protect themselves. And we need to stop hate and violence towards Asian people. We There's a lot. There's a lot that needs to be done. But none of these things are political issues. These are just basic human rights issues. So get informed, get involved, uh, donate money to organizations you believe in that are doing good work. Um, it, it just, we need to just, just stop fascism is basically the end of it. This is what, this is what this thing has all been, right? Like who, who wants the Nazis? No one likes the Nazis. There's millions of punk songs about it. Like there's so many punk songs and, and this is fascism. Oppressing people because of who they are for tons of different reasons, obviously. But, like, whatever whatever the reason, they're all bullshit. Oppressing people for who they are is fascism. So, um, yeah, go out and get informed. Uh, what else would I like to say? Uh, do something creative for yourself. Make a zine. Start a podcast. Tony Erba said one time to me, make your own culture. I didn't say it to me. He said it on stage, but... I felt like I felt like he was speaking right to me when he said it. Go there and make your own culture. Start a band. Start a fanzine. Do whatever it takes. Just just make something. And and that's really what we're trying to do, right? You don't have to make a podcast. You could. It's easy. But you could also make a uh, a band. A, you know, a zine, as I mentioned, a record label. Just draw a picture. You don't have to share it with anyone either. You can just draw a picture for yourself. Just do something creative. It can help your mental health. And speaking of helping mental health, I find meditation really does help me. And I didn't believe in it at all, you know, and now I do. And so maybe it'll work for you too. Who knows? Maybe it won't, but what the fuck? Try it. Uh, Sign your organ donor cards because by the time they come looking for those organs, you don't need them. You don't need them at all. Just get that shit out of you, you would say, if you were alive, but you're dead. So that's really why you don't need them. Um, And uh, and, uh, that's it. Stay safe. And I will see you on the next episode. Thanks for listening. Listen to Oil and Flowers with Buddha Blaze and myself.